they will live in their whether they write to Paul or not. Love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, which in another way can be turned around to tell us what is the purpose for each one of you. And for those of you who know the Westminster Catechism, you know why we are here. The chief end of man or humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so this is a theme that will run throughout the book of Corinthians. And the answer to how we glorify God or how we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, that has a sense of doing something, right? You, 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 your mind is operative, helping you understand what it is that you need to do. You're putting all your soul into it. You are fully committed to this task. You use your strength to do those things which you know ought to be done. And so it is by holiness that we glorify God. It is by holiness that we love him and we love our neighbor. And so we can see this right there in this reading by Paul to the Corinthian church. Call, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Those sanctified, sanctified, those made holy in Christ Jesus called to be saints, called to be holy ones, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Can you see that in there? What are you called to be? You're called to be sanctified. You're called to be holy. You're called to live faithfully to God. Those of you who are uh, at that point where you're having your education, you're trying to think, what is it that I want to do with my life? What is my calling in life? And it is very clear right here at the beginning of Corinthians. You don't have to wonder where your calling in life is. Your calling in life is to be holy. And it will not matter if you attain the greatest worldly success, but you live in a way that displeases God. Because all those things will pass away so quickly. One of the good things about being a church where you can see uh, many different generations, we have young people here, you can see people here who have gray hair like mine, and you can see people here who have a lot more gray hair than mine. And you can ask them, and they will tell you this life passes so quickly. What if you Commit your life to building a financial empire. Even if you preserve it throughout this life, as I say, you know you cannot take it with you. But to the one who does the least thing for the kingdom of God, Jesus, while he was on earth, said, if you give one of the least of these, my brothers, a cup of water, 
remember and reward that. But if you spend your life living it in a way that despises the blood of the one who gave his life to save you, of what profit to you will that be? To the church of God that is in Corinth, to the church of God that is in Pittsburgh, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And you can hear that word calling, kaleo in the Greek, over and over and over here. And at the beginning, Paul says, I am called to be an apostle. He is fulfilling the calling that God has given him. And he is reminding the Corinthians that I am called to be an apostle because he knows this is a church that does not want to obey. But I am sent by God. And yet, they would feel free to ignore him and his letters. And even when he comes in person to them, but you and I have the word of God too. And if anything, the history of the church shows that we are all too willing ignore the clear commands of Scripture, accommodating oftentimes in so many ways to the culture around us, every generation. Easy to think of the last generation or a generation, a few generations ago. What did the church do at the time of slavery? So many churches distorted their teaching to believe that it was okay to enslave people on the basis of their ethnicity. And to us now, it seems obvious that that kind of interpretation of the scriptures is flat out wrong. But we also have our blind spots, don't we? And so what is the challenge to us in our time to follow our calling to be holy and therefore please God? Another way in the time of Corinth, one of the things that will come out as we go through the writings of Paul and why the Corinthians felt free to ignore him. Paul talks about how he came to them in humbleness and in weakness. Now, what did that mean? In Corinth, at that, ooh, you know, actually, sorry, I skipped a whole bunch of things. Who are the Corinthians? <laughs> okay, let me finish this. But Corinth was a place where uh, there was this great center of culture, and one of the kind of entertainments or values that they had at that time where they had people who were great orators. And so the style and the flourish of these speakers was very, very good. And that style was more important than even the substance of what they said. And, and, and part of the way we see this is the trouble that Paul had with Corinthians. And so Paul had started that church in Corinth, but after he had started it, other people came in. And they were skilled in the way that Paul wasn't skilled because they had been trained in these oratory styles. And so the Corinthians started looking down upon this apostle who had initiated their church to the extent they said, well, Give us some proofs of your calling and of your, 
physician and why you should be our instructor. And Paul said, good grief. I started this church. You're my proof. And we know that Paul was not a foolish man. He was one who had probably largely committed the scriptures to memory. And we know that upon his conversion, when the Jews had come, he had confounded them with his arguments, and they could not answer him. So the problem with Paul was not that he was not a good debater. The problem with Paul was not that he didn't have knowledge. But what he didn't have was the style that the Corinthians wanted, because they had been affected to value those particular worldly values that were in fashion in Corinth. But looking at this greeting, Paul is reminding them his calling by the will of God that he be an apostle. And I think what we get here in this greeting is two reminders to the Corinthians to try to call them back to what they should be. The first is Paul telling them, look, this message that you're receiving, this message is from one who is called by the will of God. I am here for your sakes. This is the role that Christ has given me in our body. And the second is possibly the mention of the brother Sosthenes or Sosthenes. Uh, there's one other place he's mentioned. It is in Acts chapter 18 where Paul started that church. And what you'll hear about the Sosthenes in Acts chapter 18 was that after the leader of the synagogue that was in Corinth had become a Christian, he had apparently then become the new synagogue leader. And the Corinthian Jews tried to get Paul drummed out of the city, and they had brought him up on charges before the city council. But this effort was unsuccessful. And so a crowd gathered and dragged the Sosthenes outside and basically beat the crap out of him. Now, if this is the same Sosthenes from Corinth, that would be a very stark reminder. He had risen to become the leader of the Jews in Corinth. But worldly power, position, and authority can be very fleeting. And at the same time, you can see there is a cost to following Christ. Because if this man had become one of Paul's traveling companions, he would have had to give up that position that probably he had labored his entire life to achieve. And so right there in the beginning of Corinthians, we see Paul calling the Corinthians to recognize that between the allure of this world and the calling that they had in Jesus Christ, that there was a clear choice that had to be made. Okay, so who are the Corinthians? And here you can refer to the handout that you have. As you can see, Corinth was situated on an isthmus, which had two natural harbors. So, uh, I tried to get a good picture of it, but you can kind of see the, what is the ocean there. Part of the problem is that it's in black and white. Um, but you can see there, and oh, if you've got one of those study Bibles with the great maps in the back, 
Uh, you could open up to that, and you could probably see there more clearly. But you can see here on this map where Corinth is. It's on the bottom third, closer to the right side. It's on an isthmus in between two bodies of water. And because it was situated there, it had, it had harbors on both sides of the city, one on the east and one on the west. And so it became an enormous trading center. It was destroyed by Rome in 146 BC because Corinth has superseded the other Greek cities and become the leader of what was called the Achaean League. Uh, because of their position as that, Rome destroyed them in 146 BC, but it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. By the time of Paul, it had probably regrown to be a thriving commercial center of probably around 100,000 inhabitants, which for that time was enormous. Um, it was a place, because of its wealth, that had become a cultural center with theaters. The Isthmian Games, which were an athletic event that was second only to the Olympics, were hosted by Corinth because they could do this through their wealth. Wealth and power stratified the society. Um, in a way, it's kind of like I've heard in, in um, Boston, it's like who you know. And that would have been very much the case in Corinth. If you were a member of a, of a prominent family, you would have had great status. Uh, but just like most great cities, there were a lot of poor people, and a third of the people were slaves. Uh, people were very concerned in a place like this to show their status, what status they had, through things like the kind of things they wore, or the kind of people they associated with, the kind of education they had. And it was in this milieu that these sophists, these orators thrived, and people would try to associate themselves with well-known teachers. I follow so-and-so, and through that, try to attain some of the status of this leader that they followed. Uh, of relevance to Paul's ministry, these teachers oftentimes gathered followers around themselves, and they would oftentimes be very well paid to educate the children of their followers. And Paul's ministry would have been very distinct with that, because we know that Paul went at his own expense, charged nothing for his teachings, and freely taught anyone who came, and not only the wealthy. And so this is the uh, situation of Corinth. As Paul planted the church there, spent a year and a half with them, and then departed. And you can see the repetition that Paul makes right in these opening verses to let them know they have a different calling given to them in Christ Jesus. Because in a city like Corinth, or when you are in a culture like our own, what is one of the first things we always ask each other about, and it's not a bad thing to find out because it helps us know people's interests and where they are. What do you do? If you're going to a school, which school do you go to? You know, and uh, if you go to a school like Harvard, there's a certain status associated with that, right? If you go to a, uh, the schools that you guys are going to, it, 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 you know, just think back when you're in high school and you announce which college you're going to. Well, you know, from the fact that you're going to college and then the college that you go to, it gives a certain 
kind of status. But Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand and grasp and take to heart that there's something so much more important. And it's the calling they have in Jesus Christ. And look at how he puts that. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, you have a position in the Lord of the universe, called. So on the one hand, they have been given a position. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. When you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, you are justified. Your sins are atoned for through his blood. And so you're holy. But at the same time, you're called to be a saint. And that means your will, your decision, your actions. Called to be saints together all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The Corinthians were living in this highly hierarchical culture, and I think of like a culture like India where everyone has different castes, but we have a little bit of that here too, don't we? And what Paul's trying to help them understand, don't discriminate on the basis of where you think a person is. It doesn't matter if a person is a street sweeper or a member of the most prominent family in the city. They are one with you, called together with you in Christ Jesus. You are one. And knowing that we're about to come into a session dealing with divisions, and disunity in the church. You see how Paul in his greeting is stressing their new identity in Jesus Christ and the role that that must have in their understanding of who they are. We come to this next section. I'll read it for you once. And then uh, do this in your Bibles. Flip over also to the book of Philippians. And so have one finger in the 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and one finger in Philippians 1. Okay, so from Corinthians verses 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, let me ask you, in this section, where's Paul's confidence? What is the foundation of Paul's thanksgiving that he has in this section? I give thanks to my God always for you. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, these things that the Corinthians so valued, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It sounds wonderful, and it is wonderful, and it is a wonderful truth for each one of us. Why is it that I will see you guys in heaven? Not because of my faithfulness. I am the crappiest sinner who has ever walked upon the face of this earth. I am so undeserving of God's grace. I am sustained by the will of God and his strength and his power, and I'm justified by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something if we look in Philippians, and we can look at the same section of that letter there. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. At the beginning, I said, you guys are not the Corinthian church. And one of the ways that I know this, I pray for you guys every day. And when I pray, I often pray with joy. Look back at the Corinthians passage. Where's the joy? The action in that section of Paul's thanksgiving is all passive. It's all what God has done for them. But there's not one word of what they are doing for God. Contrast that here with the Philippians. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This is a wise people who have learned to discern how to do what is best. And he prays at the end, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is not just a passive thing. This is a church that knows how to glorify God. And so that's my challenge to all of us today. As our culture drifts further and further from the truth of God, it will cost you more and more to be a consistent witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in the 1800s, there was a man who lived by the name of J.C. Ryle. And when he died, this is what, this is how he was remembered and commemorated. And we have his sermons today because of many of the things he did. And this is what one pastor said of him. 
upon the occasion of his death. He, J.C. Ryle, was great through the abounding grace of God. He was great in stature, great in mental power, great in spirituality, great as a preacher and expositor of God's most holy word, great in hospitality, great as a writer of gospel tracts, great as a bishop of the Reformed Evangelical Protestant Church in England, of which he was a noble defender, great as first bishop of Liverpool. I am bold to say that perhaps few men in the 19th century did as much for God, for truth, and for righteousness among the English-speaking race and in the world as our late bishop. J.C. Ryle stood against a rising tide of liberalism and modernism in the English church. During his lifetime, this is what was said about him. Dr. Ryle is simply about the most disastrous Episcopal failure ever inflicted upon a long-suffering diocese. He is nothing better than a political fossil who has been very unwisely unearthed from his rural obscurity for no better purpose, apparently, than to make the episcopy ridiculous. Two years later, another paper. His name will stink in history. It is to be regretted that he was ever appointed to fill a position in which he has done more mischief than the Liberation Society and all the atheists put together. This was from other Christians. If you spend your life seeking after the applause of man, you will accomplish nothing for God. But if you can turn away from the allure of the things of this world and seek after God, you find the pleasure of God and win for him a crown of glory that will endure forever. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your patience 